Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What up, what up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Ask Paul, where you can get your National Electrical Code questions answered. Straightforward, straight to the point is best that I can do. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Paul Abernathy. If you Google me in a minute, you'll find out that I'm also the founder and CEO of Electrical Code Academy Incorporated. And we teach literally thousands of people all over the world. Uh, Yes, I say world. We have people in other countries that are in our course learning the National Electrical Code. Again, the NEC is not just a U.S.-based document. It's used all over the world in different places. So there is a strong need for people to learn the National Electrical Code. So that's what we do over on Electrical Code Academy Incorporated. If you want more information on our courses, how to learn the NEC, take our Fast Tracks program, just visit masterthenec.com.net or .org. It really doesn't matter. Or you can go to Electrical Code Academy. Dot com, dot net, or dot org. However your flavor, you can find out more about our courses, residential, commercial, grounding, and bonding, and whatever you need. All right, so as everybody knows on this platform, we like to answer questions that people have submitted through our portal. If you're not familiar with the portal, um, it was created uh, to have an access point for people to ask code-related questions Uh, and kind of funnel them into a way that I can get to them without them being mixed into my literally hundreds and hundreds of emails that I get weekly so that I can make sure that I address those questions for our listeners and for those that are interested in learning more about the National Electrical Code. So go to www.paulabernathy.com. Again, that's on Ask Paul Forum over there on paulabernathy.com. It's a real easy, painless way to submit questions. And they go to a special place in our CMA, the, the customer management system, and I'm able to actually get there a lot quicker. And, and again, it allows me to answer those questions via email, as well as on the random occasion, choose a really good question or two to use in our weekly podcast. So today's episode, we're going to be answering a couple of questions and I think that these feel like I've answered these at some point somewhere in, in the last, you know, 20 years have been answering questions like this. But um, 
It's a great question. The first one up the up is really talking about, let me set the picture here. We're talking about a detached structure, and it's being supplied by a single branch circuit, <clears throat> in this case, a 20-amp circuit, and the, uh, the individual has a question. So we want to make sure we answer that question for them. So I'm going to give them all the pertinent details to, to help answer that question. So here's what the submitter submitted to me. Uh, and as always, we don't give the names of the submitters. Uh, we just read their content verbatim, and we try to answer the question for them. So here's what the question was. It says, I was wondering if you are required to have a disconnecting means at the garage on a single 20 amp circuit to a detached garage, or if I could go into a lighting switch for the light, not the means of disconnect and back out to my GFCI. I can't find in the code where it says I'm required to have a disconnecting means first. If so, could you please send me the code reference as well? Okay, so we have already responded via email, which is the, the nature of what we'll do. Uh, but again, it was selected to be a topic on today's uh, Ask Paul, because again, there's a lot of people out there that are running circuits uh, out to detached structures, and they want to know. And there's a lot of other rules uh, that's required uh, when it comes to that. But um, we're just going to today stick with this question and hopefully you some of you out there can relate to this type of question so first question first thing he states is uh is it required to have a disconnecting means and the answer to that is absolutely 100 percent unequivocally yes and a couple of the code things that he's going to have to deal with this individual is going to have to deal with as he's uh running power to uh this detached structure He's now bringing power to it, so he's going to be required to have the receptacle there. Uh, he's going to have to have lighting at the entry. Uh, he's got rules that he's got to follow in 210, so I'm assuming he's fully or she is fully aware of that. Um, but he has to have the disconnecting means as the power comes to that building. Now, granted, this being a brand circuit, you know, you're going to have a disconnecting means at the source, which is coming from, let's say, the dwelling. And of course, but when it comes to the building, you're required to have a disconnecting means at the building at the point uh, that it enters the building uh, and or it could be just on the inside nearest the point of entry. We'll cover all that. But these are the things that they need to think about. So what it sounds like to me is they're coming in, hitting a switch. The switch will do lighting and then he wants to come out of the load side of that switch and he's going to be uh, not only hitting the lighting, but then going off of that and hitting uh, some type of, um, uh, let's say, the uh, receptacle loads. Okay, so first things first, that switch, it sounds to me like he wants to use a toggle switch. So we're going to kind of follow those rules, but let's kind of let's, let's nail it down up front, the disconnecting mean requirement. So in his question, is he required to have a disconnecting means? Uh, and it must it be hit first. Well, even in his description, it sounds like it's being hit first. It's coming in, hitting the switch on the line side, and then the load side of it might be going to the lighting. Okay. If you cut that switch off, it still kills the power on the load side of that disconnect, okay, which is what the switch is in his example. Okay. Not how I would do it, right? I would dedicate the switch uh, for this purpose, and then the load side of that switch, then I would use that, and then I would hit my other loads. Uh, other, you know, lighting. So if I was doing uh, a lighting and in the receptacle, I'd probably come in and hit a two gang box. I'd have the first switch is simply the disconnecting means. I'd label it as such. 
And then coming out of that, I would hit the line side of another switch and that would be the lighting. Uh, and then of course, out of the load side of that switch, I would also be, you know, tapping and then going and hitting uh, my receptacle loads uh, in uh, GFCI accordingly. Uh, the thing about it is from the surface, it doesn't really matter that they come in and hit a switch and on the load side hit lighting. If that switch is going to be flicked on and off to control the lighting, anything on the load side of it is still controlled by that switch. So that is the de facto disconnecting means, okay, in this design. So you are actually, in how you described it, your disconnecting means is actually the first thing that you're hitting in your example. So you actually are doing it. You're just choosing how you come out of the load side of that switch. Okay. So we want to address the issue of whether or not that switch can be a disconnecting means to this that structure if it's a 20 amp brand circuit. So the first thing I draw your attention to is the need for a disconnecting means under section 31 of article 225. Now 225 deals with outside brand circuits and feeders. And we're specifically talking about the disconnecting means requirement. And here's what it says. 225.31 disconnecting means says means shall be provided for disconnecting all ungrounded conductors that supply or pass through a building or structure. So it is being supplied by another structure. The disconnecting means is required at this structure. Okay. Now, where at this structure becomes the next question that's kind of entwined within the question that the individual is asking. And that is when you're going to look at 225.32. This is the location of that disconnecting means that you're calling right now just your switch. Now, in your email, you say that it's not being used as the disconnecting means. Uh, wrong way of thinking. Yes, you're using it as the disconnecting means. It just so happens that, that your, your lighting is being controlled simply by the same switch. Think of it this way. You go into a commercial building, and a lot of the lighting in a commercial building is controlled by the circuit breaker. There is no independent switches. Right? Same concept. It's still a switch. Uh, it's still going to control the lighting, but you're not coming out of that breaker and hitting a snap switch and then going up to the lighting. You with me? Okay. So I'm okay so far with, it, with what, you're, what, you're, what you're talking about. So let's talk location of where this disconnecting means has to be. It says 225.32. Oh, and I should say this. I am using always the latest published edition of the National Electrical Code. From time to time, I get comments where people will post and say, well, it doesn't say that in the 2017. Look, you are, it's up to you to know which cycle you're on. I am always using the latest edition that's published in any of my recordings, any of my videos, unless I state otherwise, it will always be on the most relevantly new edition that has been published. In this case, the 2020 edition of the National Electrical Code. So 225.32, it says location. It says the disconnecting means shall be installed either inside or outside of the building or structure served or where the conductors pass through the building or structure. So it has to be outside or it can be inside, but it has to be at the point where they pass through the building. Okay, now... Getting more detail on that, it says the disconnecting means shall be at a readily accessible location, which is different than just being accessible. This is readily accessible. Again, jump over to your article 100 and look at the difference. So again, capable being reached without climbing over, climbing under, 
things like that. It has to be readily accessible location nearest the point of entry of the conductors. So this would be conducive to coming up to the building, coming up and then going into a box. Uh, and then that switch, you know, in this case, he's using a say a snap switch. It's coming into the line side of that snap switch. Uh, that if you turn that off, that disconnects everything on the load side of that snap switch. You're effectively disconnecting power to the building. Okay. Now it is all the way up to that point which be honest with you, would you could still go and turn it off back at the host location, back at the source, but we're talking about the ability to disconnect this separate structure, and you would be able to turn it off at that snap switch. Uh, understanding that it's still going to be live up to the line side of that snap switch, so again, the, the savvy electrician knows this, and this would be the same if it was... Uh, the same if you had to run a feeder to it, you'd still have to be live at the feeder unless you went back and cut it off back at the source. Okay, so all the things being the same, uh, a lot of times people get lost in the relevancy of the switch versus a panel board inside of a cabinet. Same concept. The, li the line side is going to be hot. All right. It's the line side of that panel board, but it's the load side of the source's circuit breaker that's supplying power to that detached structure. But in our case, we're just talking a simple 20 amp branch circuit, which is permitted. Uh, if he's done his calcs, he knows what he needs. That's all he needs. So, so we're talking about the location. So it has to be, this disconnect has to be readily accessible, nearest the point of entry, all right, of the conductors. Now, it also goes in this last line, which is pretty important because... Uh, we have to determine what's considered outside of the building. And sometimes if you go underneath the building and you have a certain depth, you can be considered outside of the building. So this sends us to the rules in 230.6. Now, the rules in 230.6 talk about what you can do to be considered outside of a building. And if you're outside of the building, you, just, you haven't entered the building yet. So um, here, there's a bunch of rules, uh, whereas you can under... Uh, not less than two inches of concrete beneath the building or structures can still consider it outside of the building. So you're going under it and then you pop through. And then immediately after you pop through, you know, nearest point of entry, you're going to have to uh, go into your overcurrent device uh, or in your disconnecting means and whatnot. Uh, that's what you've got. Um, you've got uh, conduit under not less than 18 inches of earth beneath the building. So as long as you're down between you know, 18 inches. And again, at some point you do have to turn and come up. So we're talking about, uh, the portion that runs under the building, all right? So there's rules that you can follow in 230.6 to be considered outside of the building. So that's kind of what it's reminding you of. That, uh, that Now, if you're running it outside in the trench and you come up on the side of the building, the, the point of entry is either outside or the moment that you poke through into that structure. Okay? You want to poke through and you want to terminate it into a junction box, into a... Uh, switch box, if that's what you're doing. Uh, but that's kind of the, the nature of what it's talking about, the location. They're not, they don't want you to run them into the building, run it for long distances in the building, and then terminate it. Okay? Outside or nearest point of entry is very similar to what y'all are familiar with when it comes to services. The key difference here is that these are feeders or brand circuits. They do have protection upstream. They do have a way to turn this circuit off upstream, okay? So anyway, that's your location 
uh, rules uh, for the emailer. That kind of covers that. Uh, the next thing is talk about the number of disconnects. You really have no issue here because you only have one. And so it sounds to me like you're installing a one circuit installation. So we'll have other rules that we're going to make sure we follow, but I believe you're okay. But the next thing that people ask and is, can I use a general use switch or snap switch as a disconnecting means? So we've got the requirements that are set forth in 225.31, as we just discussed, because 225.31 is going to tell us that you got to have this disconnecting means. But what type of disconnecting means? And so you hear me talking about snap switches. You hear me talking about that. Um, you're like, okay, well, what tells me that I can use a snap switch in this scenario? Now, remember that under 404, you have snap switches, and it'll talk about AC snap switches, AC DC snap switches, all those type of things. Okay, so be very aware of selecting the right snap switch. Again, we're going to talk about a just a probably a general use AC snap switch. That's the type of installation he's dealing with. Uh, I'm not going to overcomplicate it, but if you have questions, you know where to go, right? Go to paulabernathy.com and post your question. More than happy to get into the weeds if you'd like to get into the different types of switches or whatnot. But anyway, so we're now going to be looking at 225.36. And this is the type of disconnecting means. Now, what we're doing here is hoping that it says something about snap switches being okay or general use switch being okay. So let's look at it. So here's what it says for the types of disconnecting means. It says... The disconnecting means specified in 225.31, and again, I'm at 225.36 if you're following along. It says, shall be comprised of a circuit breaker, molded case switch, which again, molded case switch is like a circuit breaker without the overcurrent protection in it. Um, it's just a switch. Um, general use switch, snap switch, or other approved means. Now, that's a powerful last statement because approved means means whatever's okay with the AHJ. And I think that the AHJ is going to probably not want to, you know, stick their toe into this. They're probably going to say, look, I'm okay with what's listed here. Those are what's going to be approved. So snap switch, perfectly fine. Uh, snap switch, toggle switch, same thing when it comes to what we're talking about. All right. So it says right there that those are permitted to be used. Okay. Now, the last thing that we want to look at is say, okay, I, I, I see that I can use this snap switch or general use switch. Uh, and also a general use switch could be a simple knife switch as well. So you have other options uh, that you could put at this building. Again, there is overcurrent protection upstream here. So really all we're doing is the disconnecting means component here. All right. Um, it's going to be very limited by the load because of the overcurrent device that's supplying this branch circuit to this detached structure. Okay. Keep that in mind. All right. So what are we dealing with here? So we have only one circuit running to this detached structure. So we have to look at 225.39 and that is the rating of the disconnect. Now, now it says a feeder or branch circuit disconnecting means shall have a rating of not less then the calculated load to be supplied. So we're assuming that this individual knows what's going to be in uh, their, their detached garage. And it says determine in accordance with part one and part two of article 220 for branch circuits. Okay. And part three and part four of 224 feeders, not the case in our situation. Of course, then it says part five for farms, not the case in our situation. It says where the branch circuit or feeder disconnecting means consists of more 
than one switch or circuit breaker as permitted in 225.33, combining the ratings of all switches or circuit breakers for determination of the rating of the disconnected means shall be permitted. That is basically if I had a four circuit panel or whatnot, then I, and they were 15 amps each. And let's say it had to be uh, all other. I mean, it wasn't a dwelling. It wasn't a one circuit or two circuit. Then I could actually add up the four breakers, 15 times four, that'd be 60. And that would meet the requirements of 225.39D for all other, like this detached structure would be. You with me? So that's what that means. Really doesn't come into play with what we're doing because we only have one. And that would put us under 225.39A. And there it says one circuit installation. It says for for installations to supply only limited loads. Of course, it's very limited because it's a 20 amp circuit. So it's limited to 20 amps of a single branch circuit. The branch circuit disconnecting means shall have a rating of not less than 15 amperes. So as long as this case, it's a 20 amp circuit, it's a 20 amp rated device upstream that defines the fact that it's a 20 amp circuit and the disconnecting means in this case, if he wants to use a snap switch, as long as that snap switch is rated for 20 amperes, then he's good to go when it comes to the application. So the sheer fact that, that he wants to know what requires you to have the disconnect first in his own explanation, he can theoretically have the disconnect first. It just means that on the load side, it's also controlling the lighting. Um, but he also could come out of that and control the receptacles on that load side as well. That's all perfectly okay for him to do that. All right. Now, again, not probably not how I would do it. I would probably come in and hit that single snap switch. And that would be my disconnecting means. Uh, in fact, I probably would put that on the outside in a weatherproof cover with a weatherproof uh cover over the switch and, and that would be my disconnecting means and then enter into the switch box on the opposite side of it. So that would be outside. Some people say, no, I want to come up and then turn and go into the switch box uh, and do it that way and let the switch disconnect be inside the nearest point of entry. Perfectly fine. Okay. But the answer to the question that is requiring it to be first because it literally is, has to disconnect all power to the building in accordance with the rules in 225.31, okay? So, and, and of course, 225.32 tells you the location of where this has to take place, okay? So that was a, a little more detailed than I probably wanted to get in the first question today, but uh, that explains that rule, and for his question or her question, uh, hopefully that answers it, okay? All right. So let's see. The next question we have today on this episode comes from a gentleman who's obviously trying to learn pull box calculations. So it says, I need a pull box. So this is the question. It says, I need a pull box to accommodate two three inch conduits or trade size three conduits and one one inch or one trade size conduit entering the bottom and the same conduits exiting the rear wall opposite the removable cover. Uh, what size box should be used? Okay, so let me kind of paint this mental picture. I've got a, a box, okay, an enclosure. And he's coming in from the bottom with two trade size three conduits 
and one trade size one. So in the bottom, he's got a three trade size. Or we'll just, you know, for what everybody's familiar with, we'll say we'll say inch because you're, you're probably more familiar with that. So I've got a three inch, a three inch, and a one inch coming in the bottom. Okay. And then it goes up into the box. And then out the back of the box, opposite the removal cover in the front, they're coming up and then turning and going straight out the back. Okay. So he's wanting to know what are the dimensions that I need for this pull box? All right. So first thing we all have to do when we're looking at for pull boxes in this case, he didn't really give conductor sizes. So uh, we're going to go with the fact that it is going to be a situation where all of his conductors that we're dealing with are insulated four gauge AWG and larger because he really didn't give any sizes of conductors. And if they were, uh, smaller than four, then you would be dealing with six and smaller, then you're going to have to follow 314.16 and you're going to have to come up with the cubic inches and yada, yada, yada. So this sounds like because of the size of the raceways that we're going to be dealing with four gauge and larger. So that's going to take us to 314.28. Okay. For you junkies that are following along in your code books, this is dealing with pull injunction boxes uh, and conduit bodies. Now, a couple misconceptions that people have is uh, because these conductors are four and larger, and we're, we're assuming that it's not really given in the question, but because of the size of the raceways, we'll go with that. Um, people think that that is just a pull box, but you know what? The rules, even if you make splices in there, still apply. So if it's being used as a junction box, not just a pull box, you still have rules that you have to follow in 314.28. So don't lose sight of that. It's still very relevant. I just remember when the conductors are six and smaller, then you're going to be using 314.16 and you're going to be doing cubic inch calculations. Here we're doing a little different because we're assuming now that these conductors are four gauge and larger and insulated. Okay. All right. So let's kind of get into it. So if we look at the question, we have a couple of things here. It's only coming in from the bottom, right? Only from the bottom. There's nothing on the left. There's nothing on the right. There's nothing on the top. And it's coming in from the bottom. And then it's immediately going out the backside of this box. So it's got a removable cover on the front. Okay. So the first thing we want to remember always when we're doing the box calculations is that we do each side. Now, we have nothing on the left side. We have nothing on the right side. So there's no pull through left to right. Uh, there's nothing on the top, but there is on the bottom, okay? So what we do know here is that there's no straight pulls involved. There's nothing that's going from the bottom straight through to the top, okay? So the straight pulls out of there, we, we can immediately jump to the requirements of 314.28, uh, and we can go to A2 because we're dealing with an angle pull here. So we've got angle or U-pulls or splices, okay? So let's kind of jump straight to there, and that's what we're going to do. So when we look at this, and we might jump back and look at the general rules of A, just so we can have some context to all the information I'm going to be giving you. So first thing we're looking at is angle or U-pulls or splice. It says, where splices or where angle or U-pulls are made, the distance between each raceway entry inside the box or conduit body and the opposite wall of the box or conduit body shall not be less than six times the metric designator of the largest raceway in a row. This distance shall be increased for additional entries 
by the amount of the sum of the diameters of all other registry entries in the same row on the same wall of the box. Okay, now, in our case here, it's always better to visually draw something out, you know, in your mind. Just kind of think about it. Okay, I've got three raceways coming in from the bottom and three going out the back. Okay, now, in this scenario, I've got a three, a three, and a one. The largest raceway coming in the bottom is obviously a trade size three. So it doesn't matter which one you choose. You just pick one of them, trade size three. But it's since they're in the same row on the bottom, on the same side, and what we're doing is trying to get a measurement to the opposite wall so we can get that dimension, which is generally the Y dimension, straight up and down dimension. Uh, we have no X dimension left to right. So we're trying to get that dimension here. So you're going to go three times six. Remember what it said? Six times the largest raceway. So six times three. Six times three is 18. Plus the sum of the others that are in the same row on the same side. So in this case, it would be 18 plus three plus one. So it's 22 inches. Okay. So right now, from the three raceways that enter on the bottom to the opposite wall, that'd be the top in this case, that would be at least 22 inches at this point, okay? All right, so that's the top to bottom. We haven't talked left to right yet, top to bottom. All right, so now let's, let's do address the left to the right. Okay, so there is nothing in here that's a pull from left to right, so everybody says, well, how do you get the X dimension? Well, I can tell you right now, it has to be at least the width of the three raceways in question and has to accommodate their lock nuts and what have you. So in this case, we'll just, we'll just use the minimum size that we would need from left to right of this box. We know what it is from top to bottom. Right now it's 22 inches, but from left to right, we know that it's gotta be at least three plus three plus one. So it'd be three, six, seven inches. So it has to be at least seven inches wide, okay? At least seven inches wide in order to be able to accommodate these three raceways. Okay. So this could be a, a box that is uh, very slender, but very tall. Okay. But so far it looks like it's uh, seven by 22. Okay. Just, just work with me now. So the next one that we look at and say, okay, I've got a basis here. What's the depth have to be? Okay. So we have to read on a little bit and it says exception. Where a raceway or cable entry is in the wall of the box or conduit body opposite a removable cover, the distance from that wall to the cover shall be permitted to comply with the distance requirements for one wire per terminal in table 312.6A. Okay, so we know we've got our rough dimensions of this box, but now we're looking at the depth to the removable cover, all right? So the next thing we want to do, obviously, is go look at 312.6a. All right, so I'm going to go to 312.6a. And again, I'm trying to answer this question based on the submitter and what they've given me. Now, when you come and look at this minimum wire bending, you look at table 312.6a, you'll notice that it's all based on conductor sizes. Well, this individual did not give me any conductor sizes. So... Hello, 
that's the first problem that I usually have with students or with people in the field is they do not give you all the information to answer their question. So it's a very open-ended question and I hate open-ended questions. So for the, for craps and giggles, we're going to assume that the largest conductor in a raceway would be a 500 KC mill. Okay. So we're going to go down here and we're going to look at the minimum wire bending space. We're looking at table A, which is what it told us to go look at in the exception that's under 314.28A2, if you're following along. And we go down, and we're going to assume it's copper unless stated otherwise, and we go down to 500 kc mil. We go over, and it says 6 inches. That is using the number 1, which is one wire per terminal, because that's what it told us to do in the exception. And that would be 6 inches. So in our case here, if the conductors were 500 kc mil, the largest conductor, uh, out of these sets here that are probably going into two, three, uh, trade size threes and this, whatever's in this trade size one, which is obviously going to probably be smaller, but the largest we're dealing with is going to be a 500 for an individual conductor. So that means that this box would be 22, uh, by seven by, uh, six inches deep. Okay. So again, that's assumption because they didn't give us the conductor sizes in here. So be very aware of that when you're submitting questions, you know, you got to give us all the details. All right. So we're good with that. Now, you might think, well, I'm gravy then, okay? As long as it's seven inches wide and I'm probably going to make it 12 just to be safe and I'm going to do 22 inches tall because you probably can get standard boxes this way. Um, and then you're thinking to yourself, well, this is easy peasy. The box only has to be six inches deep. Perfect. Where do I put those knockouts? Well, that's when you got to come to the next part of this. It says, the distance between raceways entries enclosing these same conductors shall not be less than six times the metric designator of the largest raceway. Okay. This is something that you have to think about where you locate these conductors okay, or where you locate these knockouts. So in this case, I'm going to put these knockouts that go out the back closer to the top of the box. Why? Because the distance, but if the raceway that's going out the back, one of the trade size three, is enclosing the same conductor that comes and goes out the raceway in the bottom, which obviously it will, then I have to make sure that there's a separation between these raceways, a, a measurement between raceway to raceway. And it says the distance between the raceways that enclosed the same conductor shall not be less than six times the metric designator of the largest raceway. So they were trade size three was our largest, right? So three times six is what again? That's right, 18 inches. So I have to locate that raceway so that they are at least 18 inches measured from the entry from the bottom to the actual raceway that's going out the back make sure that they're at least 18 inches separation. That's going to allow me to bring those conductors in and turn them adequately and get them in the other direction. Now, let me talk practical for a second. It is probably going to behoove you to be a little deeper than, uh, than six inches than what's required in 312.6a. But that is up to you. You're permitted to follow these rules here. That's a permissive statement. For me, I'm going to go deep enough that I make sure that I don't have any problem changing directions of these conductors. Another thing I will tell you is when you're doing this, and this is just from my experience, put your knockouts on the bottom closer to the front 
of the actual enclosure where you have the removable cover so that you have the full aspect of going straight up and then turning and going out the back of that enclosure near the top. So you get all of that room to make that radial bend. Okay. But that's the things that you have to think about in the real world when you're doing an installation. Um, but I've seen a lot of people make a mistake and put the raceways from the bottom and then go out the back of the enclosure at the bottom. And then they end up having to bring the conductors up and loop them around. And they forget the fact of this rule of the separation between raceways. So if I had to tell you this and I were to say, okay, well, since the box, our guesstimate here was 22 by seven. If I had to take 22 and I'm going to minus three, that gives me 18 is, I mean, that gives me 19. So if as long as I install those three trade size, three raceways out the back as close as practical to the top so that I can still get a connector on it. So I can still get a lock nut on it then I could be okay. Otherwise, it might make you have to increase the box to maybe 23 inches in order to get that 18-inch separation between raceways. So again, these are a lot of things that you might take for granted, but you really do have to think about in your installation. Where are these knockouts are going to go? Okay, All those things are critical in your, in your application. So anyway, um, that's, uh, you know, I gave two questions today. Usually we do three, but again, that's a, about the best we can do for today. Again, I like to keep these things under an hour, so 36 minutes or so. So hopefully you got something out of today's questions and answer session at Ask Paul. If you have got any questions, feel free to visit us at www.paulabernathy.com. You're more than happy to submit questions to me. And I will get to them in an email, but I will also answer a select few on the air for upcoming podcasts. And if you really are struggling with passing or learning the National Electrical Code, check out our Fast Tracks program. The platform was built on one of the most popular books out there, Charles Miller's Illustrated Guide, that we have converted into an online course with interaction and questions. And you also get a bonus of joining me on Wednesday nights where you can ask me any question you want, uh, any calculation you want, and we will break it down um, and I answer questions that you might have in the Fast Tracks program. So if you're interested in that, go check out our exam prep courses. And it's not just for exam prep. It's for learning the NEC. If you want to get a better knowledge of it, check it out. It's called the Fast Tracks course. Check it out over on our website, masterthenec.com.net or .org or electricalcodeacademy.com.net.org. You can find out more about that. Till next time, folks, stay safe. God bless. <laughs>